heard across the Resonate Regional Radio Network. It's my time, it's my life. I hope you will come along. This is Rural Queensland Today with Ben Dobbin. Good morning and welcome to Rural Queensland today. It is Friday morning, the 22nd of July. A very good morning to everybody listening to us through 4SB in Kingaroy, 4ZR in Roma, 4VL in Charleville, 4HI in Emerald, 4LM Mount Isa, 4LG Longreach, 4GC Charters Towers and the Hot Country Network. Good morning. So much to get through this morning. Well done, Broncos. Big winners last night over Parramatta and uh, so much to get through this morning as well. We're going to talk uh, to Dr. Howard Thompson. He's a, he's a vet was on the front line in the UK during the devastating foot and mouth disease outbreak. We'll also catch up with Senator Susan McDonald. We'll talk with Rural Doctors Association Australian President Dr Megan Bellow. Uh, you won't believe what the government's trying to do there. Trying to stay positive, guys. Uh, so we're going to get through it all this morning. A very good morning to everybody as well across the Resonate Broadcast Network. Let's get into it. Susan McDonald joins us this morning. Welcome back to Rural Queensland today. Senator Susan McDonald is a regular on our show, Friday mornings, uh, and she joins us again. Senator, good morning. Thank you so much for being with us. We are going to talk a little later to Dr. Howard Thompson. He's a vet uh, from uh, Australia who was on the front line of the United Kingdom when they had their devastating foot and mouth outbreak uh, back in 2001. And I'm looking forward to getting some insight into how they counteracted it and what they went through. Now, this week, we've seen fragments of FMD in some product in Melbourne. And I'm not saying it's hysteria, but the mainstream media has jumped on it. It led the news yesterday in, in many sectors. But we need to be concerned. We need to be aware. But have we gone too far with the hysteria of what is going on at this moment, considering we've got no live no live um, FMD at this stage in this country and obviously it is an area of concern but we aren't at that point where uh, where the UK is at at this moment. Good morning, Ben. And look, you're absolutely right that this is a, a, a challenge that's testing everybody. Um, I guess where I'd start is that the consequence of getting this wrong are so significant, so significant. So... I was a, a kid during the, you know, the 70s and, and the, the 80s when we had the BTEC and brucellosis program, uh, sorry, tuberculosis and brucellosis program, BTEC. Days when we had lands officers, DPI officers, we had more vets, we had a, a bigger ground game, probably more ferals in the north, uh, though that's arguable, but, you know, the, the response in Australia then would be different to what it would be now. Uh, and so we've got to do absolutely everything we can to ensure that not just foot and mouth, but screwworm doesn't come here because both of them are, you know, I don't need to go through the consequences. Everybody knows what they are. What my question, though, is can we feel confident with the measures that have been taken by the government? So at the moment, it's a two-pronged measure, uh, vaccinations in Indonesia and Bali, uh, that it's being supplied by Australia. Um, and I'm told that the, the FMD vaccinations were probably up to about 600,000 out. I have a 65 million animal herd of cattle, pigs, uh, you know, goats, and etc. 
So, you know, we're a long way off getting anywhere near coverage. The, the workforce there, the uh, agricultural people are, you know, they might have a desk and a motorbike. Often the department can't afford to put fuel in the bike, so it's the, it's the uh, department official who's got to do that, and we expect them to be vaccinating 2,000 head each. You know, big ask. So they've transferred the responsibility from the ag department into the uh, health department, the one that was responsible for the COVID vaccine rollout in Indonesia. I think that's a terrific start. So that's vaccinations. Um, Is vaccination the key to getting it under control in Indonesia? Well, that is what I'm told. That is what I'm told, that if we have more animals vaccinated, uh, then you have less spread, and then that is, of course, then reduces the, the possibility of, uh, of virus coming into Australia. Yeah. And, you know, I've, I've had, um, had commentary around, you know, if we were to really throw some serious resources at, at Bali, um, 30 or $40 million, we might be able to assist and vaccinate the, the entire herd there. Um, the places where, you know, to my mind is the most contact. But, you know, remembering that people are getting on planes and flying out of Indonesia and Bali up to Singapore, up to other countries and then back into Australia. So, you know, there's there's a lot of issues to think about. But, you know, we're still allowing people to bring food into Australia. If you're flying into the Territory, they just say, no, just pop it all here in the bin. We're not going to discuss with you whether or not um, your, your box of chocolates or your nuts or your, you know, salami are okay or not, just don't bring it in. You know, I think that would be another really simple uh, step that we could be taking, that we're not asking biosecurity officers to be, you know, having these discussions with people. It's just no food comes into Australia. We have heaps of food here. You're not going to starve when you get here. You've got a snack you want to bring, finish it before you leave, um, leave the country. Uh, and the other thing is, of course, that we have different sort of uh, contact measures um, but, you know, we are tomorrow, Saturday, it's three weeks since foot and mouth was detected in Bali. You know, we've still got people coming in on planes who, you know, uh, whether or not the, the message has been targeted enough that they understand it's not just about going onto a farm. When you come back from New Zealand, or go into New Zealand, I should say, they talk about having been on grass and soil or a farm. So they understand that they've got to explain to tourists it's not just, you know, a farm. You're not a farm worker. You're not an agricultural person. But you might have been in an environment where a sick animal has been. And and so they're sending a different message. And they're all the kind of subtleties that I think we we need to um, – I don't think our ground game is doing the job that we all want it to. Yeah. So I completely appreciate that people are saying, you know, no need to panic, no need for hysteria. I absolutely get that. But when I hear from people on the ground uh, in Indonesia, in Bali, coming back through airports, uh, I'm just I'm just suggesting that there is more that we could be doing straight away. No food into Australia. Every contact a person has to walk across a bar. Uh, a footpad, you know, even if you've come from another country, you know, if we're saying that foot and mouth is in other countries, well, you know, perhaps it's time to start considering whether or not we, we capture everyone who comes in. You know, our greatest, our absolutely greatest um, strength is our biosecurity and our disease-free status. You know, why? what price would we put on that? Because I feel like we're, we're rolling the dice. And we're gambling the farm on us really being passionate about it and wanting to do the right thing. But 
are we are we getting it right? And and I'm saying to you, I don't believe we are. And so it's time to start moving to the next step, um, particularly uh, of of just what's the ground game as people come into this country. How can we reduce the you know the highest risk? Everybody's agreed is uncooked food and food products, but also you know shoes and and other things that have had con- potential contact with a a sick animal uh, from from overseas. So, you know, I, I just, I, I appreciate that people don't want panic, but I do think that it is not unreasonable to be holding the government and government officials to account and saying, we need more. We need more assurance that what you're saying you're doing, you're actually doing, because the consequence of getting this wrong is just so significant for all of us. Susan McDonald, our uh, guest this morning, a regular, uh, and this is a big issue. Remembering we're going to talk with Dr. Howard Thompson, a um, Australian vet who was on the front line back in 2001 uh, when the United Kingdom's devastating foot and mouth disease had the outbreak and where the vets are seeing this from. Welcome back to Rural Queensland today. Susan McDonald. Susan, leave FMD where it is and biosecurity, um, and I don't want to politicise the the government at the moment, but Murray Watt um, is the Ag Minister at the moment. To his own credit, he hasn't had the experience in agriculture that others have had in the political landscape. Is he out of his depth? Well, look, I've got to know Murray over the last couple of years, and he's a good bloke, and he is trying very hard in what is, you know, a very difficult situation from the nearly the moment he was sworn in as the minister, he went, you know, straight into floods at the same time that, um, you know, foot and mouth and and, uh, and um, lumpy skin disease were really testing everybody's uh, imagination as we, you know, discovered it close to home. Uh, but I do think that this is um, a, a subject that now needs to be going to, you know, a much more serious footing. It needs to come out of agriculture. Uh, it needs to be um, home affairs. It needs to be... Um, all the department resources, um, uh, Animal Health Australia, I think, you know, I'm told that the um, dairy people are being told they're too busy to assist them with more preparedness. You know, there is a lot happening that needs to be coordinated and I think the Prime Minister needs to take the lead at this point. Yeah, because it's got to come from the top. It's got to come from the top. Yeah, I agree with that. Can we talk mining? Um, It's a big issue and it always is and it goes hand in hand with agriculture. Uh, Where you're born and raised, there's been a lot of issues going there. Can we talk mining with you? Well, Ben, um, you know, the mining industry has been a a really important part of this nation for forever. Uh, At the moment, uh, mining contributes $301 billion to the Australian economy, uh, $39 billion of taxes and royalties in the 2000-2001 financial year. And if what you've got is not made of steel, it's made in a factory made of steel. Critical minerals, rare earths, and here's the next one, phosphate and potash, which we have resources of in Australia, but we continue to import them from overseas. We have the supply, our agricultural fertiliser supply chains, and we could be doing that with our very own resources. This is a really important uh, industry, and yet the Greens have now got uh, the control in the Senate. So be really clear that as Labor passes its legislation, they're going to do 
a 43% emissions reduction um, by 2030. I don't think that is achievable without smashing uh, families and cost of living and uh, other things. But this is their decision. They're the government. They've been voted in. But in the Senate, what deals is, is Labor going to have to do to yeah, ensure yeah. that the things are passed? And they're saying no new uh, fertiliser, I'm sorry, no new fossil fuel project. And do they understand, you know, the amount of copper that you need in a, in a wind turbine, the amount of uh, 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 minerals and critical minerals that you need to build a battery, all the things that the Greens are saying is going to save the save the world. So mining is something that we have to focus on. We have the support, the uncertainty that the Queensland government's given with the increased coal royalties, where they have grabbed out, previously it was over $9 billion of royalties just in Queensland. With the new increases, it will be $16 billion. You know, that's not that's not a little increase. That's not a, oh, we just want to take a bit more cream off the top. Well, it's nearly unsustainable, is now, isn't it, if, if, if that's what happens? Do people walk away then? Well, the, these the investors, and it doesn't matter whether it's an overseas investor like Labor keeps trying to go on about as if, you know, some people's money is better than other people's. This is also mums and dads, uh, shareholders, it's super funds, it's everybody who's trying to get a, you know, get a bit of a win out of some shares. But these investors will be making decisions about, well, do I invest in Australia where I'm not sure what the royalties are going to be? I'm not sure if they're going to go up on copper or you know, anything else now. Or do I go somewhere else where they're actually encouraging us? They're, they're promoting mining. They're, you know, and then who loses out? Well, it's Queenslanders. It's the 450,000 people who've got a mining job or associated jobs, double the average salary, uh, doing really important work, Supporting agriculture in lots of regional communities with putting money into community services and uh, pools and roads and, and other things. So, you know, I just think the Greens, but having the balance of power, are going to be dangerous and Labor isn't going to need to really, you know, hold firm to supporting resources, supporting agriculture and not bowing to Greens' demands. It's going to be a tough three years. Yeah, it certainly is. Are you concerned? Well, I am because I see the rhetoric of the Greens. I see some of the, you know, completely unsubstantiated statements that uh, Hanson Young and some of the others make. Uh, she was just saying again two days ago that um, bet- uh, between one and three billion billion species were wiped out in bushfires. Maybe she misspoke. But that's the kind of extreme position they're taking, that we should stop any activity in our environment. We know that when we've got people here, when we're a prosperous nation, that's when you get good uh, environmental outcomes. It's not walking away from the bush and letting it fill up with uh, feral animals and, and pests and be a haven for bushfires spreading. This is, this is not the right approach, and the Greens are now in charge in charge in the Senate, um, will need to be really strong, holding Labor, uh, holding their hand and saying, you know, come to us on the really serious stuff because if we leave it to the Greens, they will devastate Australia. The Greens is an international movement. The Australian branch is considered a, a, a very extreme, uh, very um, 
unreliable group. And, and now we've got them holding the keys to the kingdom in the Senate. So, you know, we can manage this, but again, it takes lots of attention, lots of focus, and uh, and that's why I'm, I'll be going to Canberra to, you know, to help Labor to uh, not go off the rails and have the Greens running the show with them. Um, really appreciate your time. Thanks so much for sharing um, your insight today. Uh, really enjoy it. Uh, thank you. And look, we look forward to um, obviously seeing what happens um, from – it can really concerning time. I don't want to be doomsday by any means, but we have to be uh, aware of what is going on. A very, very concerning time at this moment. Really appreciate your time. So we can do this, Ben. We absolutely can, but we just have to hold people to account and say being caring about it, being passionate about it is not enough. You have to have your ground game right, and that's what I'm trying to do. Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks so much for being with us. Thanks, Ben. Have good a great weekend. Good on you. Susan McDonald. this is Rural Queensland today. We're going to talk next with Dr Howard Thompson, Central West New South Wales vet. He was on the front line uh, in 2001 around our FMD. Um, we're not being a doomsday, we're just keeping everybody abreast of what is going on uh, in this very trying time. Rural Queensland Today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. Welcome back to Rural Queensland Today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. Obviously, uh, talking with Susan McDonald, you, you, you can understand some of the concerns from a political aspect of where we are at. But what is it like to be on the front line um, when there is a devastating foot and mouth disease outbreak? Well, Dr. Howard Thompson um, is a vet from the Central Western New South Wales, and he joins us this morning. Uh, Howard, good morning. Thank you so much for being with us. I really appreciate your time, and, and this is a very, very delicate time in the livestock industry and the agricultural sector in Australia. It is, but um, we've got to remember that the threat of foot and mouth disease is is ever-present, and it's just been heightened slightly at the moment, and yep. our... Um, our focus is on it at the moment, but uh, it's probably not a great deal higher than it may have been three or four months ago, for example. All right. Well, let, let's begin with that, and I, and I want to unpack all this because uh, the scare tactics and, and and the hysteria coming out of some of the m- mainstream media can be mistaken and can do m- monumental damage to the industry. You were there on the front line. Can you just give us a first-hand experience if it got into the agricultural sector here in Australia, how how bad is it and what did you witness? The degree of severity would depend on how early it was recognised. That's, that's a very important point. Um, and the, um, the response, which is largely uh, a culling response where the animals, infected animals and the immediate contact animals are all slaughtered in a very short period of time. So the, the uh, rationale behind that is to remove the host so the virus can't keep spreading and remove them quickly, um, not, allow, not allow time for it to spread. So it's a brutal thing. It's, um, there's no, no way of uh, sugarcoating it. it it's, a, it's a really brutal uh, thing to do. And if you want to do it as effectively and as quickly as possible, it is the way to do it. Right, and that would stop it. Now, it, it can spread. When you started uh, this conversation, you said, well, the threat at the present moment is no different to what it was three months ago. 
Why then? It may be slightly higher. Yeah, but but why then the hysteria at the moment? Why is it that we, I mean, mainstream media as of today are up in arms. I had people out of Sydney ringing me. Um, Ben Fordham rang me yesterday about it. He, he's wanting to know completely, you know, and, and then it becomes whether or not we have the right people in charge. But can you talk to us, how how serious, should we be alert, should we be alarmed? Is this in some ways overkill the discussion that we're having about it? From, from your perspective, I'd love to hear. We need to be very alert, certainly, but um, I don't think we need to be overly alarmed about it. We just need to be alert and thorough in our practices. The reason it's, it's, it's uh, um, reached such prominence at the moment is because it's in Indonesia and it's in Bali, and that's it's the nearness of it that I think is whipping up the um, whipping up the hysteria. Over, yep. Yeah, the hysteria. Yes. So, what are those practices that we need to? Do like I mean banning planes, which has been called by some members of the governments, is that a sensible option? Are the citric the citric wash mats that they're talking about? What are the correct options that we should be looking at to try and protect our agricultural industry from FMD? I'm probably not the right person to be asking these <laughs> these questions. I think you probably need to be. Talking to, um, but as a vet, what would you say? What, what what would you what would you like to see happen? Well, we need um, uh, constant surveillance or yep. constant uh, at, at our um, at our ports of entry. Yeah, both to do with uh, where people have come into this country, tourists come returning from other yep. countries, and the fact that they're um, where have they been in that country? Uh, checking their you know their footwear, um, checking. What they may be bringing in in their luggage, which is looking for things that should not be in their luggage. So we just need to be uh, really uh, consistent and thorough in those areas. Sure. And there's nothing there's nothing wrong with the the amount of highlighting that's through the media at the moment because it's drawn attention to what is potentially a very very serious problem. Yeah, y- you know we. Absolutely, as an industry, have every right to be fear, fearful. But you, you've just said something really, really brave. Like it has to come from someone else. It doesn't have to come from our industry who makes. We can actually ask for it, but it needs to come from people outside the industry who, who understand the biosecurity aspects of other nations. Because it's not only FMD. There's there's constant issues coming in um, that they're always looking for. Is it yes, hard? Are- is it hard to eradicate if the virus? Attacks a cloven hoofed animal, and it, and it was first found in pigs in northern England. But okay, so in England it was first found in pigs um, in the holding yards of an abattoir near London in Essex. Right, those pigs had come from northern England, so infected pigs had come from northern England down to you know across a, a lot of kilometres to get to that uh, that. Uh, that abattoir, and that was the first report of the disease at that those holding yards, as I understand it. Then within eight days, there were reports of the disease through the north of England, southwestern Scotland, um, the Midlands, Wales, and the southwest of England. So it was, it was everywhere. And then they went to the, the piggery and 
found that there were pigs there that had healing lesions that were up to three weeks or three weeks old. So that had been would have been overt disease, really obvious disease in those pigs, and nothing nothing was reported, nothing was done. And around that that piggery were lots and lots of sheep farms, and yeah. sheep basically have a mild or subclinical disease. And it just so happened that the uh, sheep from those properties went to store sales locally. Then dealers bought them and, and moved them to other sales and infected sheep were moved all over the country unknowingly Jeez. through Jeez. a three-week period. It's a perfect storm, yeah. to use the cliche. Then, of course, when those sheep came in contact in contact with cattle, then the disease reared its head. Cattle have a very obvious nasty um, disease or nasty uh, clinical experience with the disease. They have huge blisters in their mouth, blisters on their feet, a high temperature. They are very, very ill. They do survive it, but they are very sick. And obviously, you know, Blind Freddy could see that something very wrong with a, a cow with foot and mouth disease. Yeah. So yeah, it, it, it was a perfect storm. So it went. So how long did it take to eradicate, and how difficult was it? It took seven months, basically. It broke. The, the outbreak started in February. It was at its peak, um, April, May, and the last case was in September. So a huge effort was mounted. Um, infected properties slaughtered out in 24 hours, and direct contact properties in the next 24 hours. So an enormous amount of work, a lot of personnel involved, but it's the fastest way to clean it up. And it, the UK has had outbreaks, um, well, a big one in the 60s, but a lot of outbreaks, and each and every time they've cleaned it up and they know they can do it. So they've got that uh, experience to fall back on. Well, I think it's great insight, uh, Dr. Howard Thompson, and here's hoping we don't have it, but if, if it does get in here, and, and I'm still dubious whether or not it will, you know, in the sorts and the devastation that happened in the UK, we've got experts like yourself who have been on the front line who know how to counteract this and, and who know how to mitigate the, the risk of it spreading across a whole ag sector and, and potentially, as difficult as it is, just making sure that We've got it under control. Thanks so much for being with us this morning on Rural Queensland Today. Thanks, Ben. Good on you. Rural Queensland Today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. Welcome back to Rural Queensland Today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. I don't want to be looking at the negatives, but our health system in rural and regional Queensland is nothing short of appalling. And the federal government need to pony up big time and get on board. Rural Doctors Association of Australia President, Dr. Megan Bellow, joins us this morning. Uh, Doctor, good morning. Thanks so much for being with us. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Uh, As threatened during the election campaign, the Albanese government is pressing on with its ill-informed changes that were aimed at ensuring rural communities have doctors. Now, you guys have been trying to talk to the government for some time, but Labor persists with a policy change despite strong opposition from rural doctors. Can we just step through it um, from the beginning and, and what they are trying to do and how this is going to have a huge impact on, on rural and regional doctors? Yeah, absolutely. So 
The current system or policy in place um, was the district of priority area. So doctors that were trained overseas coming to Australia had a 10-year moratorium and they had to do this um, time in a rural and remote setting. So that, by definition, is MM3 to 7. Yep. Now, the actual policy that the um, Labor government um, are implementing is opening up district of priority area to MM2 and some areas of MM1. So basically regional Queensland and um, some areas around Brisbane. Now what this does, well basically it takes away the priority. It's basically saying that the doctors can come um, to these other areas uh, to work. Now don't get me wrong, there are definitely areas in MM2 and 1 that are screening for GPs and, and you know, they, they, they're allowed to have them per se, but they need to have a different policy. And the main issue for rural and remote Queensland is that this will drain, this new policy will drain the doctors that are already out rural and remote Queensland into these areas closer to Brisbane Jeez. because... Yeah. Because basically yeah, yeah, yeah. they can go wherever they like. Um, so what are we talking? Where are we talking these, these M1? Are we talking like the scenic rim, like Boona or uh, like are we talking the Gold Coast hinterland? Is that what we're talking as we're, what they're classifying well, as regional? Because it, it, of course they're going to go there. It's closer to Brisbane. If it, You know, that's just bloody ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, we've studies have been shown that, um, like, don't get me wrong, the DPA um, system isn't fantastic, um, but we, we, we know from studies that as soon as a doctor, majority of the doctors that have done their 10-year moratorium, they then move closer to Brisbane. There's studies being done by JCU University that has shown that. And so basically what we're really concerned about and what we've been um, trying to get the government to listen is that there's going to be these doctors will be leaving their rural and remote areas and going closer to Brisbane. And the reality is, is even if they say that they will open up the numbers to the overseas trained doctors who, you know, to get new ones from, you know, England or, or India or elsewhere, that it actually is a 12 to 18 month process to get a new doctor here in Australia working in your clinic. So, it, so basically, in the short term, <clears throat> excuse me, you will actually see the doctors moving from uh, rural and remote Queensland closer to Brisbane, and Jeez. that is what we've been screaming about. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> okay. Yeah. This yep. is just. It's not, it's not like we need anything else more. No. As rural and remote GPs. Yeah. Like, yep. we, we, <laughs> unbelievable. Okay. So how do we? How are you guys looking at it? Because you're not going to get the help from the government. And, and, and the simple well, the simple system is well we got to you got to train and educate more doctors but yeah you just can't click your fingers and get more GPs on the deck it just doesn't happen and they've no. taken away they've taken away a lot of the added incentive financially for doctors to 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 go rural so how do we fix this because I get emails I get phone calls about our GP serve and. Why would you be a GP in rural and regional Queensland at the moment and choose that? Now, I understand because they have no time off. They are having to work seven days a week, round the clock. They're trying to live in a community. They don't get any downtime. Like it, it is, 
he's a frontline worker at the moment, or he or she's a frontline worker. It is absolutely appalling the conditions that the, our GPs are, are working in and the stress that they're under in the bush at the moment. Yeah, look, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, what we'll be looking at the government is, you know, well, to really get in the ear of the minister and actually fully explain the consequences. Um, but the thing is that we were looking for, if, if you're going to open up that DPA, well, where's your counterbalance policy to keep our rural remote GPs where they are? Like, where is the policy to make sure that they are well supported and so that they will stay in rural remote Australia? Like, that, that's been our biggest thing. Like, if you're going to open up this DPA, where's the counter, you know, policy to, to keep our GPs there? Yeah. Um, the other thing that I guess, you know, um, I'd love, um, you know, Queensland communities is to, to realise is that, um, yes, this is government policy, but the <clears throat> a way to keep your rural GP is through community. So... The actual community, small communities. Um, if you can, you know, get into that doctor's heartstrings and you know make them feel part of the community, that's one way of trying to get them to stay long term. And I'm meaning like more than ten years. Um, so it's but but you know there are communities out there that don't even have a regular GP. So it's yeah, yeah. it's a trying time. Yeah, uh, it really is. Uh, when will you be meeting with the government? Um, well, as of last night, we got offered a meeting, so we're in the process of finalising that date. Jeez. So, yeah, yeah. Just not what you need to do. I mean, I, I, you guys need to. You, you, you just don't need this kind of hassle. And and I can completely understand how frustrated you would be with this situation because what we're dealing with now is a situation where people people um, they just won't stay regional. They just will not stay in the regions, doctors, and and why would they? You know that mm-hmm. you know they get closer there. That it, it just is ridiculous, and I, I don't understand how they come up with these. What? Who? Who's advising them? And what is their thought process behind this? I think that possibly those in the MM two and outer suburbs of you know MM one or Brisbane that are you know crying out for GPs have probably had a very loud voice pre election. Um, and you know, don't get me wrong; those those areas also need GPs too. But please don't, you know, come into rural remote policy and um, you know upset the apple cart even further. Yeah, you're dead right. You're dead right. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to have to try and chase this as well because that can't happen. Um, rural Doctors Association of Australian President Dr. Me- Megan Bello, um, thank you so much for being with us on our show again. We really appreciate it. And uh, we're going to have to look into this and we might try and get in contact with you after you've had that meeting uh, with the government because this has to change and it's a real concern to people listening today uh, what is going on. Thanks so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. Good on you. Rural Queensland today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. You're with Ben Dobbin. It is Friday morning, the 22nd of July. Well, that's it from us here this morning at Rural Queensland today. Have a great weekend, Queensland. We'll be back on Monday. Stay safe and remember, when the weed is ripe, keep the headers rolling in the paddock. Ray Hadley joins you next. We'll have the best of on tomorrow morning across the Resonate Broadcast Network. Till next time, it's bye for now.